I grew up in a home where I was exposed to a number of charismatic television preachers. And I always particularly remember one fellow, who was a stout southern gentleman, and uh, boy was he a fiery preacher, and he always had this big colorful poster board uh, behind her, and I'll leave him unnamed, some of you know exactly who I'm talking about. And the poster board had flames and volcanoes and lightning and black clouds and, and, and winged beasts, and I, I think usually Jesus was on there on a white horse too sometimes. And he would get worked up about the, about the end times and the apocalypse and the need to get saved, and he would always say, glory to the Lamb of God in between his uh, fire. That's one thing I always remember about his preaching. And it seemed like uh, some of these preachers, their goal was to incite anxiety and fear about the end of the world and to obsess over the details of what was going to happen. So for a long time, I just tended to steer clear of those passages in Scripture because I didn't want to think about any of that stuff. It was a little scary. But regardless of the abusive uh, uses of what we might call the apocalyptic parts of Scripture... They're still there as God's inspired word, and so it behooves us to explore them and to ask what they are about. Now, Advent is a season um, in in the church year that puts these kind of passages right into our laps and says, deal with them, wrestle with them, because Advent is the liturgical season that deals with last things, the, the, the future coming of Jesus Christ to deal with the brokenness of the world in judgment and redemption. Now, you have to admit today that Jesus' words are a bit alarming. Changes in the sun, moon, and stars. Distress, confusion, fainting, fear, foreboding. What do these strange and troubling words mean? Seems like what he's saying is important, but I feel a little scared when I think about it. It's probably what some of us were thinking as we were hearing that gospel passage read, weren't we? But if you listen to Jesus as he speaks these words before us today, you can't deny that there's a sense of urgency to them. And so we have to ask, what's this all about? What is this all about? Let me give you a little bit of context to where the reading um, in the gospel comes from today. It's from Luke chapter 21, starting in verse 25. Now, if you rewind a little bit and you take your Bible and you read uh, the beginning of Luke chapter 21 and you read through it to kind of see where Jesus has been going, he has been talking to his followers about the future destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Because they're standing there and they're adoring the beauty of it and the ornateness of it. And Jesus says, I tell you that not one stone will be left upon another. And if you know history at all, you know that about 40 years after Jesus' death, a fellow named Titus, who would become the future emperor of the Roman Empire, uh, he led four groups of troops, four troops, into Jerusalem and laid siege to it. And what did they do? They destroyed the temple. Forty years after Jesus said such a thing would happen. So, and then what happens is that Jesus in this chapter, at some point he begins to talk about a second future event. And that is his advent, his second coming in glory to judge the living and the dead. Now, the reason that I give you the context about the temple is to say, if what Jesus said was going to happen, happened with that, we should probably listen to him when he talks about his future coming that hasn't yet happened. Because as uh, someone I know recently said, if some guy predicts his own death and resurrection and then he pulls it off, you should listen to what that guy has to say. Okay? So let's just look at a couple parts of this passage from Luke's Gospel today. 
Jesus says there will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations. You see, this imagery of uh, cosmic changes in the heavens and the heavenlies and the skies uh, was used uh, in the Old Testament to describe major sociopolitical changes that were about to happen and affect God's people. But the point is that some earth-shattering event is going to take place. And it will be noticeable. Jesus is saying, guys, you're not going to sleep through my second coming. Then he says this, this strange thing. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, is he literally saying he's going to be kind of floating down on a cloud? You've probably seen some kind of artistic um, depiction of that. Well, clouds in the Bible are used as a visible symbol for God's invisible presence. So he's talking to them about his coming presence, and he's describing his presence as divine. Now listen, uh, this, might, this, this whole thing about clouds and the Son of Man, it might sound familiar to you if you were paying attention to the readings last week. You remember the reading that we had from Daniel? I know that was a long time ago. But listen to what Daniel said. Daniel is an Old Testament prophet. He's looking forward to the time of Jesus, way before Jesus' time. And here's what he said in one of his visions. As I watched in the night visions, I saw one like a human being coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the ancient one and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and kingship. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away. Are you picking up on this? You think Jesus might be thinking about this passage? A faithful Jew that he, he was, knowing the scriptures that foretold things about himself? See, he's describing his own return as a divine event. He's saying that as the ruler of heaven and earth, he will come to establish his kingdom throughout all creation. Then he says this. He's talking to his followers. He says, when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Can we just stop right there for a minute and acknowledge that this is what every human heart longs for? We all long for someone to come and save us from this mess that we're in. Whether that, uh, that mess is just the general state of the world or more personal messes that we all have, like broken relationships or addictions or anxiety disorders or whatever it is, we all want an outside force to break in and fix what's wrong. Think about the endless, endless proliferation of superhero movies that have begun to hit the theaters over the last few years. It's endless, right? And, and some of us are big fans of those, right? See, people love stories about heroes who save the day, who save humanity from evil and death and destruction. Does this phenomenon not, not tell us something profound about the human heart and its desire for salvation and redemption? And Jesus is telling us today, we who follow him, that when this whole thing erupts, we can lift our heads high and be sure that our promised Redeemer has come to set things right. Jesus then moves on. He moves on into an exhortation. He moves on to address the tragic possibility that some of his own will wander away from him. Here's what he says. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. And that day catch you unexpectedly like a trap. 
See, Jesus knows that as time goes on, we'll be tempted to respond to our pain and our worries and our impatience with things that draw us away from him. Listen to how one author describes the situation. He says, in our culture, addiction has become the most common way to deal with pain. We watch television incessantly. We keep busy running from one activity to another. We work 70 hours a week, indulge in pornography, overeat, drink, take pills, anything to help us avoid the pain. Some of us demand that someone or something, a marriage, a sexual partner, an ideal family, children, an achievement, a career, or a church, take our loneliness away. Sadly, the result is that we become less and less human. Empty Christian shells with painted smiley faces. Painful words. So we have to ask, why does this happen? Why would this happen to anybody? Why does anyone wander away from Jesus and to anything else? Because Jesus himself seems deeply concerned about this phenomenon, even in his own day. Is it not, almost always, at the core of it, the breakdown of our intimacy with the Lord Jesus? We experience a dryness in our spiritual life, and so we assume he's just not that interested in communing with us. So slowly and gradually, we just cut out the quiet prayer time. Worshiping with the saints becomes less and less of a priority for us. Reading and meditating on scripture no longer feeds our souls, so we put the Bible back on the shelf. And the result is that our Christian lives are stripped down to occasional good deeds and a vague hope of heaven. Because when we lose sight of the deep love of Jesus and his desire to just be with us and to strengthen our hearts, our walk with him erodes into what we can do for him. Our walk erodes into what we can do for him. And if you try to live a Christian life of good deeds apart from a living relationship with the Jesus who loves you, you will end up replacing Jesus with other gods. Power, success, money, sex, booze, anything to fill the void. This is precisely why Jesus would say things to his disciples throughout the Gospels like, come away with me to a quiet place and rest for a while. It's why he told frantic Martha, you remember Martha and Mary? It's why he told frantic Martha, who was, who was just going about the house going crazy trying to get dinner ready, and she complains that her sister is just sitting quietly at Jesus' feet, and Jesus tells Martha, Mary has chosen the most important thing, just sitting here and being with me. So when Jesus says, don't let your heart get weighed down with this other junk, he's showing his concern for us. He doesn't want us becoming so distracted by the world that we end up loving and trusting in other things more than in him. So he summons us to a watchfulness in the particular areas where our individual inclinations place us at risk. It's a deeply relational concern of a good shepherd for his sheep. As the father of a toddler, I'm always saying to uh, my almost three-year-old, don't do that, get out of that, don't touch that, stop, you're going to hurt yourself, get down, be careful. I mean, I just like, goes through my mind all day long. It's like my whole vocabulary with her. Yesterday I was ironing and it's very 
getting close to the hot iron. And so I spoke very sharply to her and I said, step away. This is very hot. And I do that not to be a meanie. I do that out of love for my kids to drive them away from danger and back to safety. Now, if I feel that way when my kids are in danger, how much more grief does our Heavenly Father feel at the thought of losing one of His own children? That's the kind of care and compassion that we hear in this passage. Jesus cares so much for His flock that He sends out this clarion call to grab our attention and to turn our eyes back to Him. And maybe some of us today in this room are feeling a little bit of a nudge from the Holy Spirit. Don't ignore that. Maybe you know that Jesus is more of a distant, vague idea than a living person who walks alongside you right now in your life. Maybe there's something that you have got yourself entangled in that you know you shouldn't be entangled in. So here's a question. What do you do when you realize you've been distracted or weighed down, or just simply not very enthused about your relationship with the Lord. Jesus goes on and he gives us a couple of things. He says, be alert and pray. Be alert. See, the first step, it's a renewed awareness of where you are or aren't in your relationship with Jesus. And when he brings that awareness, you have, to, you have to pay attention to it because it's the work of God's grace calling out to you to make you aware of it. But you see, we are hearts that we are master. We are masters at ignoring that voice and telling ourselves everything is okay so we can get on with the usual. So what's he saying? What is he saying to you today? Is there something he's telling you to give up, something he's telling you to set right, maybe something that has needed setting right for a very long time? What's he showing you that's been hindering your fellowship with him? Then he says this, pray. He says, pray that you may have the strength. See, you have to admit to God that you need his help when you need it. And we always need it. And that prayer is the one God most delights in. He is the father of the prodigal son in that parable who as soon as he sees his son at a distance, who has been living in, in drunkenness and wasting his inheritance away, and as soon as he sees him appear, he runs to him and he embraces him. And he says, we're going to have a party because you were lost and now you're home. Now, there's a danger in these words of exhortation. There's a danger um, that we would think that what we need to do is shape up and get ourselves right so that when Christ appears he will accept us. But that would be a tragic misunderstanding of the Christian gospel. Because as one author puts it so well, favorably disposed to it, preparation in the world would not be enough if God were not favorably disposed to us in the first place. And here's where we get to the gospel. That's the gospel. God in Christ, favorably disposed towards you, before you could do anything to get his attention or earn his favor or make him pleased. And it remains the same today. No matter what's been going on in your life, no matter how distracted you have been, no matter how you've been sinning or who you've been sinning with, no matter how far you feel from God, your journey 
back home to Him begins with accepting the good news that He loved you so much, He gave His Son on your behalf. Here again, those sweet words of St. John. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and gave His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Remember that bumper sticker? Jesus is coming. Look busy. Remember that? That's how a lot of people think when they think about Advent, when they think about Jesus returning to judge the living and the dead. But see, Advent is not about anxiously and fearfully trying to improve ourselves so that God will accept us when he returns. Advent is about hearing the good news of the gospel once again. That Jesus Christ died to save sinners and to take back the world that rightly belongs to him. And to make that good news and the Lord who proclaims it the center of your life again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as our colleague this morning noted so clearly, we do need your grace to cast away the works of darkness and to put on the armor of light. And it is only by your grace at work in our lives that we can throw off the distractions of this world and the sin that so easily entangles us. So we ask you to come to us, your people, your sheep, and help us to hear the good news once again that you have acted in your Son, Jesus Christ, to bring your light into our darkness and that you will come again to save those who are eagerly and joyfully awaiting the return of your Son. It is in his name we pray. Amen.